Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee, by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. Arrived, the found the telephone we have and a electricity line weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Morning. Your teen years are supposed to be some of your best. You are young enough where responsibilities are at a minimum, but old enough where you can be given some freedom. In October of 1997, two teenage girls who were on a camping trip together were abducted and murdered in what would be called the Bega Schoolgirl Murders. And on October 28, 1997, one of the two men who took their innocence and freedom was finally arrested after committing one of the worst crimes in Australian history. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Lauren Berry was just 14 years old when she and her best friend, 16-year-old Nicole Collins, decided they wanted to go on a camping trip to celebrate Lauren's 15th birthday. Nicole's father helped the girls set up camp on October 3, 1997. The two took advantage of the school holiday and spent a few days camping, reading magazines, having long talks, and just enjoying the freedom. 
Their parents checked in on them frequently, and the girls returned home for showers and food. It was a small town and seemed incredibly safe. What they didn't know was that a pair of career criminals with 200 charges between them were heading their way. Leslie Camilleri began his criminal history when he was just 12 years old. Most of his charges included various thefts, weapons charges, and possession. When he was released from prison after serving three years, he met and moved in with a woman and her nine-year-old daughter, and they soon moved, after having a baby of their own, to the town of Yes. This is where Leslie Camilleri met Lindsay Beckett, the man who would become his partner in crime. Lindsay Beckett, like his new friend, was no stranger to drugs, violence, and the law. Leslie was seen as the ringleader and Lindsay as the puppy who followed his lead. The two men began racking up sexual assault charges. By 1997, Leslie had accumulated so many charges that he was required to serve periodic detention. He was to attend prison every weekend for four months. He eventually just stopped showing up. In September of 1997, he was charged when a child gave evidence that Leslie had been molesting her over the course of 12 months. The case, for whatever reason, was dismissed and he was free once more. On September 13th, the two men met a 19-year-old girl named Rosa Marie Gondarius at a junkie's hangout. The two men asked her to help them do speed injections and lured her into the car. They drove away, did drugs, and claimed that they were taking Rosemarie back home, but instead headed towards Yas and told the woman that they were going to have sex with her. But when she protested, Leslie produced a knife. They held the girl for 12 hours as they took turns orally, vaginally, and anally raping her. She was able to escape at a rest stop and fled to a nearby farmhouse where the police were called. The men, who planned to kill the woman, arrived at the farmhouse and gave a statement that involved consensual sex in return for drugs. Rosa Marie, with her attackers present, refused to make a statement and the pair were able to walk away. On October 5th, the men were driving around Bega, injecting each other with speed when they happened upon Lauren and Nicole walking alongside the road. The girls, who were heading towards a nearby suburb for a party, saw a car pull up beside them around 10 p.m. The men inside seemed friendly and offered to take them to a beach party they knew about. The four drove to a nearby beach and stayed for a while before the girls asked to be taken back to their camp. They went down a dirt road and went towards the campsite. On the road, rocks began banging out the bottom of the car and Leslie pulled over in frustration. His anger about the car suddenly turned towards the girls. He pulled out a knife and began reversing down the road and heading towards the opposite direction of the camp before stopping at a small clearing. Lindsay Beckett grabbed Lauren Barry and pulled her out of the car. He told her to take off her pants and underwear. She told the man that she was on her period and a virgin in an effort to deter him. This didn't stop him and his partner from raping the young girls over and over for more than nine hours. During that time, they continually beat the girls when they didn't perform to their liking, with Leslie Camilleri being the main aggressor. When he would force the girls to perform oral sex, he would crack the side of their heads with a blunt object if he felt their teeth. When he attempted to rape Lauren for a second time, he became enraged that her vagina was swollen shut from the previous assault. They would drive, 
find a secluded spot, rape the girls, and then relocate and start the attack all over again. Lindsay began driving towards Orbost as Leslie slept and the girls cowered in the back seat in an almost comatose state. When Leslie woke, he grew angry that they weren't heading towards Sydney as his plans were to throw the girls off the bridge along the highway. The pair began whispering and forming a plan to get rid of the girls. At around 8 a.m. on October 6th, Lindsay Beckett stopped the car near Fiddler's Green Creek and dragged the girls who had been tied up from the car. Leslie demanded that Lauren go into the creek and wash herself and dress before being tied back up, and Nicole was hogtied. Leslie then threatened Lindsay with a knife and forced him to kill the girls. Lauren Barry was the first to be killed. He held her head underwater before stabbing her in the neck. He then went to Nicole Collins and cut her throat multiple times before kicking her, stabbing her in the chest, and in the windpipe. The men got into their car, drove away, and spent the next few days destroying all of the evidence. The girls were reported missing fairly quickly, and friends, family, and emergency services searched tirelessly for them. On October 27th, Lindsay Beckett was arrested for an unrelated theft charge. When the federal police searched his stolen car, they found a map of Bega and forwarded it to the local authority. On October 28th, Leslie Camilleri was arrested for a breach in his periodic detention and taken into custody. The monsters were behind bars, but had not been connected to the gruesome murders. Yet. On November 5th, Lindsay was formally questioned about the missing girls. And, while he originally denied any knowledge, a week later he confessed to his part in their abduction. Though, according to his story, he was strictly under the control of Leslie Camilleri, who committed the most heinous acts during their capture. He took the police to the bodies, and they were located on November 12th. Lindsay Beckett, who helped the police find the bodies, testified against his partner and pleaded guilty, received two life sentences, and is eligible for parole after 35 years. On April 9th, 1999, after a seven-week trial and seven hours of deliberation, Leslie Camilleri was found guilty and given the maximum sentence available in Australia, life in prison without the possibility of parole. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on October 29th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy-to-listen-to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again, and have a wonderful day.